0: episode is airing on Tuesday, March 9th, 2021. Good morning, everyone. This is Shannon here with you once again. If you have been listening to the podcast for a while, you know the drill. It's Tuesday, so I have an author interview and I have your guide to the week's new releases. So as always, we will start out with the housekeeping information, and then I have a fascinating interview with romantic thriller author J.M. Schneider. And we talk about his writing process, some of the ways that he has found to kind of deal gracefully with rejection. We talk about characters, kind of how they come to life, and how they sometimes direct their own stories. It's just a lot of fun. So I hope you enjoy listening to it as much as I enjoy doing it. And then we are going to talk about the many, many new books that are out today. So let's get started. You can find us on Twitter and on Facebook by searching Book Bistro Podcast the Book Bistro Podcast at gmail.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Book Bistro podcast. This is Shannon here with another author interview. Today, I am talking with J.M. Schneider, who has released a novel called Kenzie's Treasures. This came out in the U.S. in early February. So by the time you hear this interview, it will have been out for about a month. So it should be pretty easy for you to find. But thank you so much for agreeing to chat with me this evening.
1: Thanks very much, Shannon. I appreciate being here.
0: So I'd like to have authors start out by giving listeners a little bit of an introduction to the book in question, a little bit about the world. Um, just anything that you want to share that doesn't include spoilers.
1: No spoilers, I promise. Um, oh, good. So I am, first of all, I have to start this off by saying I'm kind of a cold weather person. I tend to not be very um, good in the heat in the tropics. So of course this book is set in the tropics in the Southern Caribbean. Um, I, I started it on a cruise. I kind of got inspired uh, by seeing the water and how clear it was and how much was beneath it. So it's about Kenzie and she's a Marine archeologist and she has been obsessed with a pirate who died in the early 1800s carrying a incredibly fabulous treasure and the treasure was lost. When new information comes up, she is pretty sure she knows what it means and where to find the treasure. Problem is nobody at her university or anyone in the scientific community believes her. So she sets out on her own to find it. And she kind of dives for it on her own with the dive boat captain, Julian Burke. And from there, there's some danger about other people wanting the treasure. Will they find it? And of course, uh, Julian is a roguishly good looking, but kind of callous person who starts growing on her. He has a few surprises of his own. So that's the general startup for the
0: book. So would you classify this as like a romantic thriller, romantic suspense? Um, As you kind of think back about the work, what would you consider it in terms of genre?
1: I use the term romantic action suspense. And I do that because I like a lot of jumping around and fights and danger, but I do like to try to be subtle about building the tension of the scenes. Uh, And of course, it's all wrapped around a romance. So I think it kind of is all three.
0: That is amazing. (laughs) So we have a lot of romance lovers here in book bistro land. So I'm really curious to talk with you about kind of what drew you to writing books that are kind of, as you put it, wrapped around the idea of romance.
1: Yes, I wish I had a great answer for that. I've always kind of treated romance as not a thing unto itself, but it's an end result of people being comfortable enough with themselves to give and accept the love that a relationship requires. So I don't see it as I'm out to fall in love, but it's about a character growing and becoming the person they want to be. And then that romance coming as a side benefit of the situation that I put them in, where that growth occurs.
0: So when you're writing, do you try to stick with kind of the romance rule, which is that you have to at least give readers like a happy for now ending, if not a happily ever after ending?
1: I do stick with that so far. I don't know if I'll always stick with that, but so far it has been where the book has led me when I'm writing it. So I stay with it.
0: That is excellent. I know um, several people, you know, have a lot of trouble with trusting an author who sometimes will like, you know, kill off a main character or <laughs> cause the romance to go in a direction that they don't really expect and kind of put that happily ever after in jeopardy.
1: i like you to think it might be in jeopardy, but no, I have <laughs> to admit, I always come back home to a happy,
0: happy ending. That, is very good. You, you will make my co-hostesses um, very, very happy with this bit of information.
1: Good. That was my plan.
0: Yes. <laughs> so what made you decide that being an author was what you were going to do?
1: Well, I am by day profession because I still do have to have a day job. I'm a technical writer. So I write those oh. manuals that everybody hates. And I apologize <laughs> in advance. So I've always been a writer and literally i tried to write I probably have tried to write a dozen books and I failed every time and I really didn't understand why. I wanted to write. I could write good stories well pardon me I could write correctly and with with uh, proper flow but the stories were terrible. Oh, And I finally kind of got the idea that I was acting more as a control freak with my characters and I always stopped and made sure that they made good decisions that they always acted appropriately for the situation they were mean they were never jealous they were never jerks and the stories would peter out because there was no conflict and I didn't understand that for a long time And literally in my first book I was writing and the story was starting to die and I thought I was going to fail again. And in the midst of my preparations for Harry Carey, my character, the female lead turned to me in my head. I'm seeing the story. She turned to me and yelled at me for making her do something that she would never do. And I said, well, okay, what do you mean? And then I realized I was actually talking to myself. (laughs) And she turned and started redoing the scene the way she would do it and I realized she is not me so she gets to do what she wants and ever since then uh that's how I write I talk to the characters tell me what they would do and then I just let them carry the scene and I write it and I'm almost like a reporter watching the action
0: so how does this process work for you when it comes to you know I've talked to authors who say like that they make all these outlines like go scene by scene some people go chapter by chapter Um, I'm guessing that if you are kind of writing intuitively sort of by what the characters are showing and telling you that it might be kind of hard to create an outline and actually know bit by bit what is happening in the story
1: it is impossible what I've What I do is I develop a character outline and I think back and I actually write who they are and what they've done in the past so I can figure out who they would be. And as an oversimplification, are they risk takers? Are they practical? Are they uh, adrenaline junkies? And I make sure that that governs their actions through the book. I like to say that I start with a plot that kind of drives the characters, but as the story goes on, that switches. And in the end, the characters are driving the plot. So I do not outline much past the first or second, maybe the third chapter tops.
0: So do you have kind of a general idea of like how you want things to end up? Not so much in terms of the romance, but like in terms of other plot elements, do you sort of know where you want this to go? Or does this all sort of unfold in a way that feels like kind of mysterious to you?
1: Oh, I know exactly where I want it to go. Problem is, it rarely goes there. Oh, dear. (laughs) I'm sitting there and I say, oh, I could do this. And then I could have her do this. But then he could do this. And I say, that's great. And then I'm writing through and going, but wait a minute. He could do this. And that would change everything. And oh, no. And then I'm like, okay, we'll do it. So it really ends up just going where it wants. And I try to corral it to a point, but. I feel it's out of my hands to some degree.
0: So then as you write kind of your first draft and you're kind of watching how this unfolds, as you're writing, do you kind of see like what you need to do editorially or do you then have to go back once you're done with the draft and kind of read it again and do all your edits separately?
1: Of course, I have to do some serious edits because I'm human and I make mistakes. But in my discipline as a technical writer, grammar is key and diction is key. And I had, I've honed myself over way more years than I'm going to tell you how to write. So I don't have to go back and do wholesale edits. I have to think it through when I'm writing it. So I read for grammar, diction, reuse of words, little things like that, which I do a terrible time. I have a terrible time avoiding that, but the plot usually stays where it goes once I put it down on the, on the paper.
0: Okay. Okay. I've talked to people where they'll say, you know, Oh, I was writing the scene. Then I realized like if I kept writing it this way, I was going to write myself into a corner and I had to go back and make all of these like significant changes in order to support the character's actions. Mm -hmm. So I was thinking that that would be probably very difficult to kind of Have to rework certain things in order to kind of stay true to your plot and your characters.
1: And that was what I used to do, honestly. I used to write myself into nowhere to go, not only Mm -hmm. for the character, but for the story. Oh. So that's where I got frustrated because I I can't tell you how many books, how many files I have in my computer of 25,000 words where there's nowhere to go. I mean, literally. I've even toyed with the idea of having like a natural disaster occur just to give me somewhere else to go. I realize that's kind of silly now, but. The apocalypse. Exactly. Oh, everything was (laughs) fine, but then boom, you know, something like that. And um, I, that's what I was doing because I want in my, in my personality, my life, I am a bit of a control freak. So I, I plan things. I mean, I make sure I have a backup to a backup. So I'm always trying to solve the problem instantly. And that's what I was doing. I was solving the problems way too easily and writing myself into a corner.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. That that would be hard to then find ways of of getting your characters out of these corners so that there were still things for them to say and do and think.
1: Right, exactly. So you get it. I don't know why it took me 20 years to figure it out. <laughs>
0: how many books have you written and published now
1: this is my second okay my first book was love at point blank range which i released at the end of 2019 literally uh while i was on the cruise where i got the inspiration to start kenzie's treasures just kind of a weird coincidence
0: do you find that your process has changed at all in writing your second book? Like were there major differences that you found in writing a first book versus the second?
1: That's a tough question. I would say only that I learned to trust what's going on in the scene to guide me because in the first book in love at point blank range, even though I had this great epiphany or mental illness, whichever way you want to describe it. Um, I wasn't sure that what I was writing was good from a plot perspective. I was very worried that it was going to be make no sense or be these incredible leaps of logic and faith that really didn't make a lot of sense. So I was nervous about that. So after I finished and went through it and got a couple of people, my beta readers to tell me that, no, it fit. It made sense. I got a lot more comfortable. So when I dove into Kenzie's treasures, I didn't mean to do that. I just did. (laughs) <laughs> diving thing, sorry. That's um, okay. <laughs> I just realized what I said. Um, I just trusted what was coming to me to write. I said, this is the way the scene's going, just write it. And so I wouldn't say I changed the process, but I got more comfortable with the process.
0: And how long did it take you from start to finish to write Kenzie's Treasures?
1: Almost exactly one year. Um, it was just about a week short of uh, one year when I started putting the first page, first words
0: down so as a writer would you say that there is a perfect length for a book like you have you know novellas that are like right around 100 pages and then you have these giant like fantasy novels that are close to a thousand pages so I'm just wondering sort of what like do you feel is the perfect length or size of a book
1: I don't think there's a perfect length or size. I think there's a perfect length for each, each individual story. Um, Mm -hmm. One of the things I kept posting on my Facebook and Twitter and stuff and telling my friends as a, like, you know, like the end of the summer when it's getting down and the story's still going, but we're definitely in the end game of it. When is this going to end? When is this going to be done? Because the story had to tell me when it ended. So, no, I think if you need 180,000 words to write a story, you do it. If you can tell it in 80,000 words, you, you do that. It's it's whatever the story requires. So I would never criticize or suggest that your length is wrong as long as it fits the story that you've, you've envisioned.
0: I love that because I think there are some really stellar books that like, I can't imagine saying, oh, you know, this has to be cut down to 90,000 words or 100,000 words. I think some books are too long and some are too short, but there are just so many that kind of hit that perfect place, which may not be the perfect place for another type of book.
1: Exactly. And editors will probably, they're probably grasping their hearts in panic as we say <laughs> cut our words. But I feel that the <laughs> level of the story is or the length of the story is what it is. And you have to, if you don't like the story, that's different. But not liking the length is, I feel, um, um, a misstep.
0: So how was it for you to get a book published? Like, what was that process like for you?
1: Well, it was not easy, but I say that and realize that it's not easy for everybody. Um, I remember, remember, pardon me, that I um, was getting the standard rejection ladders. I was sending all the synopses and everything out and getting it back. And uh, a good friend of mine, well, I'd say a good acquaintance of mine. I have known Jennifer Probst for about 25 years. We went to high school together. Oh and, yes. Um, yeah. And I kind of would occasionally hit her up for advice. And she's been very gracious about giving me little tidbits. And I was like, I got my 11th rejection letter. And she kind of came back and said, Yeah, boo hoo. I got my 41st rejection letter before the marriage bargain, for the marriage bargain, before it went number one. So I realized that I really didn't have a lot to complain about. And I just kept plugging at it. And as it turned out, one of the people in my writing, uh, writing group, it's the Hudson Valley Romance Writers said, my editor is looking for more works. Maybe you should submit to him. And two weeks later, I had a contract. So, wow. It just worked out.
0: Fantastic. (laughs) So, are you a reader yourself? Like, either while you're writing or kind of in the time in between your books?
1: I am a huge reader, although it has suffered in the last few years because when I'm reading, I feel
0: like I should be writing.
1: So, Yes, and not all the time now, but yes, I do read a lot.
0: And what kinds of things do you read?
1: I (laughs) run the gamut. Um, I don't read a lot of romance, surprisingly. I just, it's, there's always something a little more what I want to read right now. I read a lot of historical fiction. Um, I read a great deal of scientific books. And I don't mean scientific books that I read textbooks, but I read stories that are set that have a highly scientific bent to them. So maybe they happen with an astronomical concept or a chemistry concept. And I read a lot of true crime.
0: I have recently discovered the work of Mary Robinette Cole, who has written a series of kind of alternate history that follows a female astronaut that I am really, really loving right now.
1: I'll bet. Wow. That sounds so interesting. Yes.
0: I'm not always a big alternate history fan. Like it's sometimes hard for me to sort of step away from what I know of actual history and say, Oh, but you know, what if this happened? Um, But when it's done well, I think there is just a lot to be said for that. Like looking, you know, what if you could rewrite how things occurred?
1: Yeah, that's that's quite the power trip a little bit because you can rewrite history theoretically.
0: Yes. (laughs) So have you read anything lately that you would like to tell the world about?
1: Well, yes, I have. Well, it depends on your interest level. I am currently reading a book on the history of ice hockey in the city of Philadelphia, which is where I'm from. And I'm learning about how the NHL started in the city and even before the city. So I'm very interested in that, even though that's kind of, that's kind of dry for somebody who's not really a sports fan. Um, I've also just finished the last, of the novels that Tom Clancy actually wrote before he passed. Uh, I've loved all of his books and he was one of my inspirations because he managed to, he would build a universe, which you cared about the characters, but the technical aspects of the problem made the story flow. And I just really enjoyed that because there's two sides going on.
0: And now someone else is kind of continuing his um, like the, the overarching stories of his characters, aren't they? Yeah.
1: Yes, they are. It's uh, I think they call it op center. um, And I believe there is one other author that's doming the lion's share of the writing primarily around the Jack Ryan character, but I haven't really gotten into those so much because Tom has voice and a way of putting things. It's hard to match that.
0: I would agree with that. I find that to be true kind of whenever anyone sort of picks up someone else's work and takes it over um, and tries to write in that world, it doesn't often feel quite like it gels for me.
1: It's like you remake certain movies. They just don't work as remakes because the original is the original. That's what you expect. And the remake can be good, but it's just not the same as the original.
0: Right. And I think we are kind of biased in a way toward the things that we experience first. So even if I read something and I'm like, oh, this didn't really work for me 100%. I don't know that someone else's take on it would work any better.
1: Right. Even bad but familiar, it works for us sometimes, which I'm not sure what that says about us in general, but I think it is true.
0: It does seem to be true. <laughs> so now that Kenzie's Treasures is out in the world, what do you see as kind of your next steps or next project?
1: Oh, I am looking to pin that down right now. Oh, I, okay. My beta readers, my wife, and my friends keep yelling at me that I should write a sequel to, you know, for like a three-part, three-book series. And I'm working on an idea to use one of the subsidiary characters in Kenzie's treasures for my next book. Um, It's hard. I find it difficult to not build a new person from scratch. So I have to take what she was in the, in Kenzie's treasures and match that up. So I think I can do it, but I am, I am, it's a challenge for me.
0: I think it's really interesting how many people are writing sort of books that do not stand alone these days. Like when I first started reading romance and just like mysteries, I feel like there were a lot more books that were just like full and complete books in and of themselves where now there seems to be a trend toward writing multiple books, kind of featuring the same character. And this seems to be the case in a number of genres, you know, not just like fantasy or romance or thrillers.
1: I agree. And that's part of why I'm struggling with it because I like to think that my book stands on its own, but my wife and again, some others have been saying, no, there's so much more to learn. There's so much more to know about these people. And I'm like, no, no, they died on page 414 of the book. And that's it. That, that no book, more. That, they're dead. But if far be it from me to tell people what they want. So if a sequel to this book or a sequel with one of the characters from Kenzie's Treasures is what gets, gets me more recognition, gets me more sales and gets me more popular as an author, then that's what I'm going to do.
0: So I'm really curious about this because okay. it sort of seems to fly in the face of what you were saying about allowing the characters to sort of direct where the story goes. So if, if those characters aren't speaking, or directing, then what happens?
1: And that's why we're going to find out what goes on. Cause I really don't know. Um, you oh. make a good point. And, and this is a bit of what I'm struggling with. I'm trying to take this person and I have to put her in a new situation. And then I have to let the, I have to set up the conflict and then let things flow again. So that's going to be trickier. And I'll be the first to admit that after I wrote my first book, I didn't think I would ever come up with an idea for a second book. And now that I finished my second book, I am struggling to come up with an idea for a third book. So I have to have confidence that it will come. And that means I've got to, again, trust my process and set up the starting point and then let them run. So it's going to be hard.
0: So do you find any kind of balance between sort of the two conflicting ideas of writing what you perceive as being like what readers want versus the stories that are kind of asking you to be told?
1: Yes, I do. And I am not fully able to resolve that yet. I I want to do it my way, but I want to do what the industry suggests that people want. So I have to find my sweet spot in there.
0: I kind of wonder if anyone has ever like fully resolved that, (laughs) you know, you have people who write like a book a year in a series because that's what has made them popular. But then you also, you know, hear people saying like, you have to write the stories that, are in you that like you can't you know you can't force the stories based on like what someone or a group of someone suggests so I feel like this is kind of a catch-22 for so many writers.
1: I I really agree and I think that carries through to a lot of creative arts. Um, I've often thought this about George Clooney who obviously if you take away all the great looks and everything that he has he started doing popular movies or, or movies that were geared towards the popular audience, but he's had enough success that now he can pick a script that he likes. And whether it makes $7 or a hundred million dollars, he doesn't care right. he just do the movie. So I don't want to say that I'm Clooney cause that's <laughs> not true in a lot of ways, but I will definitely say that I'm in the stage where I have to get myself out there and get people recognizing and liking my writing so that i can maybe say i'm going off on this tangent because i've earned the right to do that and earned the right is not the correct phrasing but you i think you understand what i mean
0: yes that you have you have given the world a certain amount of words and stories and ideas and so sometimes people need to kind of step back from what they've been doing and forge that new path
1: that's what I'd hope to do probably someday in the future, but we'll see how it goes.
0: We will <laughs> so if listeners would like to contact you online, what is the best way for them to do that?
1: Well, they can always go. I have a Facebook page under author J m. Schneider. Um, I also have Twitter under author J M. Schneider. See a trend here, and then I, I have, do hey. <laughs> Uh, My website is J.M. Schneider, author. And just in case, the last name is S-C-H-N-E-I-D-E-R. And there's a contact area there, of course. I really like to hear from my fans. There are a few of them. And when I get an email from somebody, I'm really excited because if you're going to take the time to thank me, criticize me, suggest something to me, it means you've invested a little time. And that's all I can really ask for.
0: Well, I want to thank you profusely for taking time out of your busy wintry schedule to (laughs) chat with me a little bit about yourself and your work. Um, I think this was a really insightful and thought-provoking conversation, and I do thank you for it.
1: I thank you for taking the time to talk with me. And I mean, your questions were great because they made me think about what I'm doing and what I'm trying to present.
0: Okay so it's Tuesday and that means new books and for those of you who were here with me last week you know that I told you that there are many great things out this week and so now it's time to talk about them. So the first several are of course books that you've heard us talk about before on our most anticipated Books of March episode. So the first two are books that Stacy mentioned One is historical fiction. It's Off the Wild Coast of Brittany by Juliette Blackwell. And then we have a historical romance by Joanna Shoup. This is the first book in a new trilogy for her. It's The Heiress Hunt, and it's Fifth Avenue Rebels, book one. Then we have a couple more romances from Sarah, who is looking forward to The Devil Wears Black, which is a standalone novel by L.J. Shen, and Act Your Age, Eve Brown, The Brown Sisters, book three by Talia Hibbert. Both of these are contemporary romances. I love Talia Hibbert with pretty much every ounce of my being. I'm so excited for this one. And then we have a mystery that Brooke is looking forward to. This is Her Dark Lies by J.T. Ellison. For the sake of true transparency, I read an advanced copy of this, and this is not my favorite Ellison book. I normally really enjoy her novels. This one just didn't work for me, but that doesn't mean that it won't work for you. So if you are a fan, you should still check it out. Okay, so let's talk about new books that you haven't heard us talk about. And I'm going to get things going with a collection of mysteries and thrillers. I'm starting out with Heartbreak Bay. This is Stillhouse Lake, book five, by the lovely, lovely Rachel Kane, who sadly we lost at the end of last year. And it's just really sad to think about the fact that she's written so many books and now there won't be any more um, so, if you were a fan of this series, the fifth book is out. It is Heartbreak Bay, Stillhouse Lake, number five by Rachel Kane. Then we have the Imposter. This is by Marin Montgomery, who is an author. has been on my radar for a long time. I own several of her books, and I've never read them. And that has more to do with just the amount of things I have to read than it does with her as an author. But this is The Imposter. And it is a mind bending psychological thriller about a mother and daughter who are in search of a terrible truth. Family secrets, maybe? Yeah, I could go for that. So this is The Imposter, and it's by Marin Montgomery. Next up is Call Me Elizabeth Lark. This is by Melissa Colasanti. It is a book that I've been super excited about since I first heard about it, um, kind of toward the end of 2020. It is about a family. The daughter disappeared 20 years ago. It appears now that she's back only like is it really her if so what happened to her you know who is this person now that her family hasn't seen in 20 years this is call me elizabeth lark and it is by melissa calasanti this next book i love the title Um, And it wouldn't really matter what this was about, I would have to read it. This is The Girls Are All So Nice Here. It's by Lori Elizabeth Flynn. When I first looked at the synopsis, I thought it was going to be YA, um, because it kind of reminded me of one of those like dark boarding school books um, filled with, with like mean girls. But no, it looks like here the Mean Girls are a little older. This is about two former best friends who are reunited at a college reunion only to discover that someone is out for revenge because of something that happened 10 years before. I will definitely be picking this up. It's The Girls Are All So Nice Here, and it is by Laurie Elizabeth Flynn. So now... I still have a couple mysteries, but these are historicals, historical mysteries, that is. Um, we have The Dark Heart of Florence. This is a Lady Emily mystery. It's number 15. It's by Tasha Alexander. These are pretty close in scope, I would say, to the Veronica Speedwell books by Deanna Rayborn, um, The Anna Lee Huber series maybe the Jacqueline Winspear, um, Macy Dobbs books, although these are set kind of earlier than any of those, but they're kind of um, historical mysteries with a romantic thread that runs through the series. So this is The Dark Art of Florence, and it is Lady Emily Mystery, number 15, by Tasha Alexander. We also have a new book by Jess Montgomery. This is The Stills. It's Kinship, book three. This continues a series begun a couple of years ago in The Widows, and it's set in the Midwest. Um, It's a strong kind of female friendship series with some really excellent historical detail and some pretty cool mysteries, too. So this is The Stills, Kinship, book three by Jess Montgomery. And now I'm just going to talk about some historical stuff that doesn't really have a mystery at its core. Kate Quinn, her new book is out this week. This is The Rose Code. I really, really like Kate Quinn. Um, My favorite books by her are still her Mistress of Rome series. There were four books in there. I love it so much. I also really liked the Alice Network by her. Stacy, um and my partner Christine really love the Huntress. So a lot of us have good things to say about Kate Quinn. This is the Rose Code. It is about three women who are code breakers during the war. And apparently somehow they become estranged. And they are reunited in 1947 on the eve of the royal wedding where disaster strikes. It's The Rose Code by Kate Quinn. This next book I find really intriguing because it's about a piece of history that I have never heard of. And I love that about fiction. I love when it can teach me things that I never knew. So this is Surviving Savannah. It is by Patty Callahan, and it is about a terrible shipwreck that occurred in 1838, and it's called The Titanic of the South, and it is basically um, the story of these people who were kind of the elite citizens of the South and how many of them perished in this shipwreck, only their stories were pretty much forgotten, and now in the novel a professor is kind of bringing them to light and kind of reminding people why these stories are important. This just looks so, so interesting. I love books like this. It is Surviving Savannah and it's by Patty Callahan. Okay, so let's talk about some romances now, right? Because romance is always a fantastic thing. The Little French Bridal Shop. This is by Jennifer Dupay, and it is about a woman who comes home to her small New England town. Um, Her life has kind of been upended, but she's planning her wedding. She has the dress. She has the guests. She has the venue. But where's the groom? Hmm, no one knows until we read the book. It's The Little French Bridal Shop by Jennifer Dupay. This next book just makes me really happy. I've heard great things about this author. This is Sandcastle Beach, Matchmaker Bay, book three, by Jenny Holiday. And it's an enemies-to-lovers romance about a woman who's desperate to save her community theater and the kind of uptight bar owner who is competing with her for the grant that she needs to keep her theater open. This is Sandcastle Beach, Matchmaker Bay, book three, by Jenny Holiday. Then, we have some historical romances. Um, actually, just one. And it is The Devil in Her Bed. This is The Devil You Know, book three, by Kerrigan Byrne. Kerrigan Byrne is just a jewel in today's historical romance. Um, she writes these dark, intense gritty romances. Um, It's just her her books are so lush and twisty and sensual. I, I love her. She's just amazing. So anyway, this is The Devil You Know. Number three, it is The Devil in Her Bed, and it's by Kerrigan Byrne. I was going to transition to young adult, but I realized before I do that, I have one lonely fantasy release. This is dark fantasy. It is The Queen's Weapons, Black Jewels, number 11, by Anne Bishop. If you know Anne Bishop because of her um, series about the others that starts out with written in red, these are very, very different. It is a darker fantasy set kind of in like a hellscape. Um, The world is run by jewels the darker the jewel the greater the power these are very very sexy very twisty very intense and so incredibly dark so this is the 11th book it's called the queen's weapons and it's by anne bishop and so now we're going to lighten things up with some young adult books starting out with one with a really cool title This is, it's kind of a cheesy love story. It's by Lauren Morrill, and it is the story of friendship, of a chance at love, and, and are you ready? A lifetime of free pizza. So I'm not a big pizza person. I know that's like anti-American and terrible, but it's kind of true. So if you love pizza more than I do this is probably the perfect book for you. It's it's kind of a cheesy love story, and it is by Lauren Morrill. Perfect on Paper, this is a book that I've been hearing so much about prior to its publication, Perfect on Paper by Sophie Gonzalez. This is about a bisexual teenage girl who has been kind of writing these advice columns, and she's very, very savvy about relationships, people think, So she is hired by this really great guy who wants her to help him get his ex back. However, they fall in love instead, just as you would imagine. It's perfect on paper. It's by Sophie Gonzalez. Next up is When We Were Infinite. This is by Kelly Loy Gilbert. It's about a teenage girl with a very close-knit group of friends and these are kind of like the, the people that keep her life afloat. Her family's pretty messy. There's a lot of uncertainty in her life. And so all she wants is for this group of friends to stick together. But when she's visiting one of them and an act of violence occurs, this kind of throws everything on its head. And she is forced to kind of deal with things that she wasn't expecting. This is When We Were Infinite. And it's by Kelly Loy Gilbert. And next up, we have a young adult thriller. This is Tell Me My Name. It's by Amy Reed. It is a kind of mashup of We Were Liars and Speak, which I think is a really cool combination. It's also described as a gender-flipped Great Gatsby for YA readers. So I'm not a huge fan of classics, um, but I am familiar with The Great Gatsby, and so I'm really interested to see how we're going to do a gender flip. So this is Tell Me My Name, and it is by Amy Reid. And last up is a young adult fantasy romance. This is Sweet and Bitter Magic by Adrienne Tooley. And it's about a witch who has been cursed, never to love. And another witch, although I guess we don't realize she's a witch at first, she is hiding a dangerous magic. When the two of them meet, they strike a bargain. And of course, their lives are forever changed. This is Sweet and Bitter Magic by Adrian Tooley. And that, my friends, is all I have for you this week. I hope you have been reading lots of great things and that you are looking forward to more great things to come because 2021 is a fabulous year for books so far. We are only about a quarter of the way through the year and there have already been so many fantastic releases. I hope all of you are staying well and, as I said, reading lots and lots.